Hello and welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discuss pop culture with a geeky bent. I'm Chris and with me as always is my co-host Steve. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well indeed. Um, I'm, I'm super excited uh, this week to talk about our our topic. One of your favourite films. One of my favourite films. Um, so let's row it back just a little bit. Uh, so we're talking about The Truman Show this week. And I think before we discuss it, I want to uh, flesh out a little bit why I, I chose to give you The, the Truman Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, also discuss, uh, as we like to, why Truman Show was relevant to us uh, in the past. So, the reason I gave you the Truman Show, um, as I mentioned briefly at the end of the last episode, um, is because you kind of proverbially threw down the gauntlet as I saw it. Um, when I was saying, like, what a mind-blowing film I thought this was. You took issue specifically with my use of the words "mind blowing." So, so, so let's put some context in this. It was like a Sunday morning. Please. Um, I was, you know, mm-hmm. very tired. I'm sitting there on the couch. I'm still in my PJs. I've got Facebook chat open, and you're sending this to me. And said, "Ah, oh, Truman Show, mind blowing." I just could not have it at that time in the morning. What? And and that was it. It was like I'd slapped you in the face, and the gauntlet was. It thrown. was a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face of, of Trumanites everywhere. To sit you down in front of it again, uh, to really think about it. And um, so as such, I think this this podcast, more than any other one that we've done so far, might take on a slightly more adversarial um, uh, sort of context. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, no one's, no one's experiencing anything new. Um, I'm hoping that you've come to your senses, but if not, it might be, you know, the, the, there might be a bit more of a back and forth uh, on that front. But uh, do you remember going to see this in the cinema with me, Steve? Uh, yeah, I do, Chris, I do. Uh, I remember seeing this, it was a summer or late summer blockbuster, wasn't it? It was. Um, and, uh, you know, I this just for the fans, uh, I, know that, I know that the listeners out there love my memory and the little nuggets that, no one has said anything I about produce. your memory. I'm sure they. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. Um, <laughs> so I was. I was remembering. Um, I was watching this, and I, I have a very particular memory of uh, a friend of yours. Um, having told you prior to going to see the film, that they didn't think much of it, and they thought it was really predictable. And I specifically remember you turning to me afterwards and and saying like, "That was great, and that wasn't predictable at all. I don't know what they were talking about." Which is why I was so surprised that you've changed your tune all these years later. Well, hang on. No, I haven't changed my tune. I like the film, and I liked it again Good. watching it now. Uh, <laughs> I think I just took more issue with your use of the words mind-blowing as if, like, oh my god, my tiny, fragile little mind. What I would say is that when you consider this was a film that was made in 1998, which is actually before Big Brother started here in the UK. Uh-huh. I think you, uh, it started in 1999. Yep. So this idea of reality TV and cameras always being on uh, was maybe a little bit away from us. But I think looking back on it, I just was saying, I don't think it's mind-blowing, Chris, in terms of the concept. But as a film, it's always been good, and I've always liked it. Okay, well, um, we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit, but let's, let's get into it then. Let's discuss the film itself. So you, you enjoyed the rewatch? Absolutely enjoyed the rewatch. I finished it about, as we recorded this 25 minutes ago, 
So it's still feeling fresh. It's fresh in the mind. It's, uh, yeah, it's cracking. It's a tight film. You know, it's... Uh, it's very tight. Very it's tight. like a hundred minutes. It's um, largely t- uh, told from the, the point of view of the small little cameras all over the town. Mm-hmm. And it's... And it's surprisingly... It holds up surprisingly well from, from my previous memories of it. So, very enjoyable film. Very tight, as you say. Um, something that strikes me straight away... Uh, that again for our younger listeners i feel needs to be given as a bit of context the john jim carrey was not a serious actor oh god no <laughs> not at all and up until this point he had done ace ventura he had done the mask he was known for being like this rubbery faced ridiculous a million times over the top um <laughs> And then a little bit more kind of actor. He played the Riddler, of course, in That's right. the Val Kilmer classic Batman Forever. Um, and you know, the, you know, as a young child, I I, I loved the shtick. But um, a lot of Carrie's other films from the time, I have to say, haven't really aged so well. I haven't seen Liar Liar in years. I don't know if it has aged well or, or well not. I think actually Dumb and Dumber might be all right. Uh, but do you remember, let, let's bring a personal anecdote in this. Do you remember dragging our father to go see The Mask? I do. I do feel bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was we watched, right, he brought us Ace Ventura. Someone at his work brought us. Probably a, a pirated copy of Ace Ventura. Probably a pirated copy. And we watched that until the tape reel, because it was back then. So it was hard, you know, bloody tape. Uh, until the tape ran yeah. out. Uh, over and over again, we could do all the lines, all the Ace Ventura lines. We weren't quite sure what was going on with Einhorn at the end. No. Um, for our tiny, fragile little minds. I mean, I was about 12 or something, and you were younger. Yes, I'd have been about six or seven. And probably. we then dragged our dad to see the mask. And our dad was a smart yep. man. Still is. <laughs> he still is. But he, he was a smart man. He saw those trailers and he went, nope. And we forced him to go anyway, and he sat there for 90 to 100 minutes with his arms closed as we watched that. That was dreadful, that film. Again, doesn't doesn't really stand up, um, because it was a very of the time, that crazy over-the-top shtick. I actually watched, um, because I'm, I'm sort of masochistic like this, I actually watched a little bit of Jim Carrey's stand-up from around that period, probably about 91, 92, maybe. Oh, God. Um, and it's exactly like you think it would be. Um, like, it turns out, Alrighty Then was actually his catchphrase uh, prior to Ace Ventura. Um, wow. It was just... I can't imagine a stand-up set that's just Jim Carrey phrases. That would Well, I mean, you've awful. hit the nail on the head. That's what it was. <laughs> it, was literally just, <laughs> it was literally just a whole bunch of weird phrases, him doing his bizarre sort of facial expressions... Um, and then at one point talking about battering a woman to death with a brick, um, and the crowd We've come loved a long it. way. We've the crowd come a long way it. since 1990. <laughs> it did not, I was very uncomfortable watching it, and I just, yeah, times have changed. But the point is, going back to this, this, this was one of Jim Carrey's first kind of serious roles where he wasn't spending the whole time just on, you know, he was just playing a normal human yeah. being. And there's there's a few Carryisms in here, you know. It, it's it's still quintessentially him, 
but he's so much more reserved and and reeled mm. in. And so it was a real treat watching this because everyone was like, oh, it's a Jim Carrey film, but it's not like you think of it as a Jim Carrey film. You know, it's not a huge, you know, comedy per se. No, there's a lot of funny moments in the film, but he himself is um, well reserved. He, he, he's been forced by his birth, from his birth rather, to to this point in his life where he's just approaching his, I think he's either 30 or he's approaching his 30th birthday in the film. Yeah. He's very, you know, he's he's a very reserved man. He's obviously afraid of many things, uh, and yeah, he he he's not got the sh- he's got shtick for everyone in terms of his daily life. You know, good afternoon, good evening, and good night is the most obvious one from the film. But his run-ins with the news agent and his uh, next door yeah. neighbor, um, he you know he has those kind of uh, mannerisms, but they're much more restrained than the carry that came before this film, which is probably why it's all the more remarkable. This was the first serious acting uh he had really done yeah i mean this was pre-eternal sunshine and and things like that when you just didn't think he could carry a dramatic role like it you just think well why would you choose jim carrey for that um right but yeah you know it worked it worked really well and actually often the humor comes from him playing the straight man of all things yeah you know to the sort of ridiculousness of you know laura linney doing product placement in the middle of their (laughs) kitchen um, which I just love. I think it's the best. The Mococo advert. Yeah. <laughs> it gets me every time. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, this time you've watched it with your, you know, your your uh, film lover's eye. I presume you had your notepad in front of you. Oh, yeah, of course. Pausing throughout, you know. So what what came up to you this time? You know what? What did you pick well, out? Well, certainly, when you consider the time it was made, I, I will still. I'm not going to use the term mind blowing, Chris, because I will not give you. Oh, but you want. I to. will not give you the satisfaction. <laughs> but, but I will say, it's a, you know of the time it was a very original concept, and not just um, the Big Brother Survivor reality show aspects of it. How, there was just um, there was there was other elements which uh, were actually surprising to me. So. I remember from watching it originally uh, that Harry Shearer was in the film, and uh, you know he he yeah. interviews Christoph. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he's actually doing is he's hosting a forum show, kind of a side show to the main show, which is very prevalent nowadays. It's uh, you know yeah. you've got a Game of Thrones show, you've got a Walking Dead show uh, in the UK and the US, all these kind of things. Uh, even Great British Bake Off, my goodness, has like a side show um, that, that focuses on what happened in the main <laughs> show. Um, and this was made in 1998. This was this is tw- 19 years ago. And this was ahead of the time in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, that's that's what sparked this all off. What what uh, specifically drew the words mind blowing, um, <laughs> you know, out of my head and, and into the text uh, message that that so sort of sparked this off was just thinking i was i was listening to the soundtrack um on uh, spotify uh and we'll, we'll we'll get to the soundtrack in a bit obviously but um i was listening to it and i was thinking about the film and i was thinking you know what anyone coming to this now without the context of when it was made and 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 you know what the world was like when this film was made probably wouldn't be that fussed about it it's like oh yeah it's it's a commentary on reality TV. It probably comes across like a, a, like a funnier version of an episode of Black Mirror. 
um, that's been done a hundred times. But because it came so long ago and so long before reality TV is as is, is prevalent in the media as it is now, you know, it was really in its infancy. And it just hit onto this idea, what if, you know, shit like Big Brother, which had, mm. you know was, was airing in the States at the time, just about. But, you know, what if this kind of notion of reality TV is all anyone wants to watch? And they actually want to watch real people going through slightly contrived situations but you know how does a real person react to it um which is exactly what you get with you know in this country things like the only way is essex and made in chelsea like they're all basically reality tv but somebody puts them in these situations i don't really get it i i, I don't want to get it but that is <clears throat> that is our modern world. I thought I think that's a really good point there, Chris. Where you were bringing up things like um, the only ways Essex and Made in Chelsea and stuff, because it's not just a reality show, but an unreality show. It's it's something that that uh, is made up for the audience. In this case, actually, it's it's in Truman. It is duping an individual. Um, yeah. but I think that's a very good point. Actually, you raised there. Yeah, and and you know, moreover, one of the things that I think one of the kind of the themes that comes through from the film is, you know, right at the start, you've got Kristoff talking to the screen and he's, he's extolling the virtues of the show. And in general, reality TV is a mm. concept, you know, he's saying like, it's not scripted. It's not whatever. Everything you see is real. It's real reactions. It's real people. It's real, whatever. But yet, as we go through the film, you're hit with this stark feeling of unreality you know, everything's very fake. Even the buildings look quite fake. Everything's too idyllic. The way everyone talks to Truman, you know, we, the audience, know straight away what's going on. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't feel real. And, you know, as the film progresses, you know, it becomes clear his his whole his whole life is very unreal. It's not his real mother. It's not his real father. His wife doesn't even love him. She doesn't even like yeah. him particularly. <laughs> You know, so much so that she she had her fingers crossed in their wedding pictures. Um, and then the film almost kind of makes you take solace in this, this very heartwarming moment with his best friend who's really going for it. He's welling up. He's, he's saying all this stuff. And then it pulls back for you to see that he's being fed lines by the, just the director of the show. And the, actually the notion that it's all real is, is bullshit because it's it's all fake he's the only real thing about it but the ironic thing is Chris, um, the ironic thing is is that the, the 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 buildings that you mentioned that are so fake are actually real that's a real place they filmed um they, they filmed a, it's a a model town in florida i think it's in florida and that when they saw uh, it the director came out and said unpack our things this is sea haven we're here yeah exactly <laughs> this is sea haven yeah. and that's where they so that's how they were able to save so much money off the budget i think it was um it was something like an 80 million budget film and it was made for yeah. 60 million they saved 20 million dollars that's unheard of um because yeah. because they're able to use all these pre-existing uh, buildings they just changed a few things obviously and filmed there for for a few months let's talk a bit about the the um some of the themes then sure so obviously we discussed you know reality tv before it was even a thing um you know it does it does go a bit deeper. I, I think it gets kind of, you know, if you're in the mood, it, it kind of gets to the point of what is reality as a whole. Um, right. You know, uh, Christoph, Christoph says the line that's very interesting, 
something along the lines of, uh, you know, we we deal with the reality we're confronted with, or something along those lines. We accept the reality which... of the world as it's presented. I think is uh, is the line, and I've written it down here because it's very true. You know, especially today. Mm, exactly, and you know that when once upon a time when I was studying philosophy, that's such a big thing. You know, what is reality? Is there an objective reality? Fuck knows. How would you ever know? Because all you ever experience is is through your own eyes. It's through your own lens. So, you know, if something happens on the other side of the world and you don't know about it, as far as your reality is concerned, it, it never fucking happened. And, you know, likewise here, this is, this is, you know, the reality Truman's faced with. And, you know, it lets us buy into the fact straight away, like, this seems really unreal to us, but this is all he's ever known. Yeah. Um, as far as he's concerned, this is how the real world does work. Um, and, and that's why it sort of takes him so long. You know, it also kind of raises this point. It is quite a a horrible thing that Kristoff has done. You know, he's plucked a baby out of the real world. You know, but as Kristoff says at the end, Chris, so, so he's plucked a baby that was unwanted mm -hmm. out of the world. I mean, obviously, it's, it's all for a TV show, but it is interesting at the end. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm in complete agreement with you. Of course, he's done a horrible thing, and it's yeah. uh it's uh it's an absolute mockery. But the baby at the end of the day was wanted, and so he gave him a life. He gave him a, a not just a normal life, but an a super unreal normal life. You know, yeah, literally perfect. It is literally perfect. Do you know what it what it is? Do you know what I've written down here is? It's 1950s America. Mm, and that's yeah. from their fashion sense to what they do to the like the flashback scenes as you said when he's uh he's the, he's in the marching band he's not in the football team yeah he's in the marching band and and, uh, and the girlfriend is a cheerleader and all that stuff it's very trumpian right we're we're, we're in a post trump world uh, or pre or we're actually not in a post trump world we're in a we're in a trump world and yeah that's the kind of imagery he is um putting on the rest of us is this is where he wants to bring us back to is this kind of idyllic yeah. 1950s america that's it in the truman show in but in a kind of a modernized style it's it's exactly uh that ideal and it's uh it's very unreal at times hmm, exactly and and that's that's one of the things i find so fascinating about it as well because like i say you know from an objective sense he's he's done something quite deplorable you know truman has literally no privacy um, and of course, that's in stark contrast to Christoph himself, who they even make the point of saying he's very guarded, he's a very private person. Right, um, exactly. And and here he is, he's completely robbed this guy of his privacy, has completely unaware put him on, you know, on, on television for his whole life and, and basically made a mockery of his life, cheapened it to the point where it is, you know, it's manipulated for others' entertainment. You know, so even though he was falling in love with someone, they were like, "No, no, no! This isn't the person you're supposed to fall in love with. You're supposed to fall in love with Meryl." So, so we will keep manipulating, and we will keep changing things, and do whatever we have to to make this happen. Um, right. And it's 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 a fascinating thing because obviously, yeah, like you say, in some ways, as he sees it, as Christoph sees it, he's done the right thing. He's taken this poor unwanted child and given him the perfect life. And there mm. is a um. I don't know if you read this, but somewhere, somewhere in one of the one of the many rewrites that the script had, Kristoff um, was actually going to be in some way or another physically disabled. 
they talked about making him like a hunchback or something. Yes. And that that was going to be his kind of motivation, that he had had a bad life um, with lots of unfair disadvantages, and he wanted to give this baby all of the advantages he could never have. Um, and that, yeah. that so much so that he feels like a father to it. And, and apparently it was just that Ed Harris did, he put on the the hunchback costume and was like, nah, this isn't going to work. I don't the like original it. draft of this film, or at least the original, several of the original drafts of the script of the film, uh, where, as you say, were a bit more serious uh, and mm, focused quite on... dark. Exactly, right. And, and yeah. focused on those kind of elements of... Uh, Christoph not having the life that he wanted for Truman. Mm-hmm. What Peter Weir, the director, has done with the film is he's actually made this a lot lighter. Probably because Peter, because Jim Carrey is the the star as well, but he's he's taken that dark script yeah. and and made it lighter. And it, but it really works. You know, it, it's really entertaining. At the same time, it's given us a lot to yeah. talk about. Yeah, I mean, this this is a prime example of filmmaking as a collaborative process and the strength of that um because frankly if if it had been a very dystopian dark uh film you know as the original script had intended and i mean i i read something that apparently there was going to be a rape scene in which two actors were staging a sexual assault truman was going to walk past it not help yep and then the camera was going to stay on them and they were going to sort of pick themselves up and dust themselves off and be like, huh, I wonder why he didn't help. We were kind of expecting him to get involved. And yeah. just like, fuck, that would not have been lighthearted. That would have been really dark. And, you know, the thing about films like that is sometimes they don't stand the test of time um, because mm. they're they're shocking and they hit you and they really make you think. But personally for me, when I watch a film like that, something like off the top of my head say american history x it was a shocking film it really made me think i don't particularly ever want to watch it again because it also made me feel horrible having to watch all these terrible things happening so Mm. you know i think taking that the rewrites that came into it which was part of how peter weir wanted to present it and partly because jim carrey uh, apparently demands a lot of creative control or certainly at the time demanded a lot of creative control over the project and so he was demanding rewrites he was improving on set and that then took it in this sort of lighter more you know more digestible uh kind of format but it still has the it still has the themes and it still gets us talking you know uh you know about it it's just that the whole world has gone mad you know you can still see the darkness mm. in it but it's presented in such a light-hearted funny way that, that that yeah you know you can you can still get a lot out of it you can still enjoy it very quickly before i want to talk about the soundtrack next um but i do just want to mention that one of my favorite things <laughs> is how marlon always has beer in every <laughs> scene and like when you know they've when when Truman's going a bit nuts with Meryl and uh, starts chasing her round and and holding her with the uh, the slicer dicer thing. Yeah. And the first thing you see as he comes through the door is the six pack he's holding. Um, and I just love that he can't turn up without it. And even when they send him in, they're like, I think Truman's. Uh, I think we you know we're we're not sure what's up. Can you just go check on him? 
and like he goes running down the stairs and he's just obviously holding his six pack when he goes in um it's nice because they don't draw attention to it and it's just a quite a fun visual gag yeah exactly even even at the even the last time when he's uh supposed to be sleeping in the basement yeah after uh meryl's left and <laughs> they go down he's still got the beer he's rushing in to make sure he's still there he's still got the six pack in his hand <laughs> to get and, in there it's fantastic yeah and I, I love that scene especially where he's just sort of like where are you hiding buddy come on out and it's like cutting back to Kristoff, and he's like yeah yeah that's good keep that going keep that going keep it light keep it light <laughs> yeah it's like, don't panic don't panic everyone um yeah, fantastic. So let's let's talk soundtrack. So um, this is one of one of my favorite things about the film is the soundtrack. And I know you were saying the other day, like, oh, do we even need to talk about the soundtrack? Like, is it is it particularly remarkable? Do you still feel that having rewatched it, or or not so much? Well, well, this is the interesting thing. Cause you've got much more of a musical background than I do. I mean, I like mm-hmm. music, but you've you've played music and you know how to play musical instruments. Um... Yeah. a bit of a musical chris over the me but yeah you're right you know the the, the musical soundtrack um which is entirely original right? there's no there's no popular music in this soundtrack as opposed to the last couple of films which we've done in which we yeah th- that thought did occur to me yeah so it's, it's completely original soundtrack but it's very effective like the moments when truman is holding up traffic by holding out the bus and the car when he start he's starting to realize that he is in control of this world there's this very dramatic um, undertone to the music, which is still light. It's not too serious, um, but it's very effective, and it's very effective at keeping the mood. And uh, overall, it's, it's yeah, it's a cracking soundtrack. It, it is wonderful. Um, it's it's special for me because I don't I don't always I don't always notice film soundtracks, despite the fact that, as you say, I am I am quite musical and I enjoy music a lot. Um, but I'll actually often come away from a film thinking that, to be fair, that it had the desired effect, that I was focusing on what was happening, the music was probably making me feel a certain emotion or making me, you know, you know, get what was going on in the scene in, in a certain way. As such, I didn't notice, I, I very rarely notice it by itself because it rarely stands out enough. Uh, obviously, again, the last two films we've discussed, Sisu and, and Donnie Darko, both have actual pop songs, uh, you know, in one way or another presented in them. And that, obviously, I can always pick out. But The Truman Show is different. And I think it's because the songs are actually quite simple. They're got, they've all got very strong melodies. But they're not, like... Mm. They're, they're not huge, big, long orchestral pieces... That that meander forever and and have a billion different instruments playing. You know they are predominantly, you know, like you can play them all on a piano and know exactly what you're what you're hearing. You know there might be strings in the background, but they have these very strong identifiable melodies. And you could probably, I could probably name a moment of the film, or certainly if it were the reverse, you could certainly name a moment of the film, and I could hum the the bit that's playing. You know at that moment because because the melodies are so strong. Right. And yeah, I really, really love them. My favorite song has been for years. The I think it's called Raising the Sail. Um, and it, it plays a few times, but specifically when Truman's actually on the boat. He's he's making his way um, to, to the end of the world, as it were. 
and uh it's i i think it's a really beautiful piece of music and not to get too technical but but what what it tends to do is it has a lot of repeated chords where the second time the chord is played it's played in a, sli a slightly different form uh where the top note will just move up a semitone and you you know you can hear it it's, it's quite striking and it has this effect of of making it feel like it, it just it, it has this feeling of almost kind of desperation to it and it, it always feels to me like you know it's representing truman's reaching for something and he's he's nearly got it you know and, and it's something he's been reaching for for a long time um and yeah i think i think it's very very stirring wow chris that's probably the most serious and most effective discussion we've had on this podcast in the first four and a half episodes that we've done i have no idea what you just said but it sounded excellent <laughs> holy shit have we have we arrived <laughs> <laughs> what playing a chord slightly differently from the last one how on earth could anyone pick that up like, well bravo well done but that is excellent yeah i i actually i actually cracked out the the piano last night and had a go at it myself to sort of to make sure i wasn't just talking bullshit um but yes <laughs> uh yeah if you listen the lengths you'll go to yeah if you listen to it again you'll you'll you could probably hear what i'm uh you know what i'm referring to even if you don't quite understand um i also liked you know where as i say a lot of the film was filmed to make it look like the tv show and probably 90 percent of what we see is actually in the tv show in truman's world um i also like that when it cuts away at one point um we see the the guy with the piano the guy with the sort of synthesizers and Christoph going like you know the music swell the music swell the music um and what was um i forget you, do you know the word diegetic i do cuz i did film studies you did film studies which one does that mean does that mean it's part of the diegetic means it's part of the scene and non diegetic means it's it's part of the soundtrack and you're supposed to to you're supposed to notice when one becomes the other Yes, and that's that's an example of it. The, the music has been playing; it has been uh, diegetic, um, and then it changes ever so slightly. You know, it goes back to the studio, and then you actually see somebody physically sitting there playing it on the piano live, um, and that uh, you know that again is just like a little moment, but I, I think it's quite clever. Um, now, did you want to discuss um, the the religious overtones? Well, film. I don't think you could talk about this film without talking about the religious overtones because they are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. From the from moment one to the to the last moment, from the simple to the uber technical to the to the small, you might not have noticed it. Mm -hmm. This film it certainly tells you over and over again about the whole idea of uh, creator and subject, uh, yeah. God and human, and, and so on and so forth. It's it's all throughout the film. I've I've watched this film so many times. It never really occurred to me to think about it like that. Um, probably because I'm not an incredibly uh, religious person. In fact, I'm not, and in in any way religious person. And so, even though the imagery is quite stark, uh, until the other day when you said um, that'll be part of what we discuss, it never really occurred to me. And then as I'm watching it, I'm thinking like, well, geez, I feel like now I'm being beaten over the head with it. You know, right to the point where when when Christoph speaks, this voice from the sky, and he says, "You know, I am the creator." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, 
how did I miss that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, when the when Truman is sitting there on the edge, I think it's the first time he's playing golf with uh, yeah. Marlon. Um, actually, that's not true. I think it's, it's, he's sitting there and he's watching the sunset and he's like, that's the big guy. Quite a paintbrush he's got. And he's talking, yeah. they're talking about Kristoff right there as God. You know, I mean, they're talking about God. Yeah. But... I've actually I've actually got that written down right in front of me. That's the big guy. Um, because that's it's it's a great line because it's a bit of irony, you know, to Truman, he's talking about God, but he knows better. <laughs> this is nothing to do with God. He knows that it's Kristoff's sort of creation, and you know he probably views him with you know as a, an almost reverent kind of way himself. Yeah, towards the end of the film, I loved it when Kristoff um, is actually talking directly to Truman. He's, he's he's as you said, right? He's talking from the sky as Truman sees it. Um, but Sylvia who's watching this for the whole time she is sitting there and she's actually saying uh, under her breath like please god like please truman please leave because because christoph is basically goading him at this point saying i know you would leave yeah like you you'll stay here um but at the same time she's saying like please god and talking to the real god or talking to her god or whatever uh-huh. um christoph is talking to truman as his god um, I'd love that kind of that 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 moment of the the two elements, kind of the real world and the the fake world, kind of meshing together. It, it certainly batters you over the head, as you said, Chris. There's a lot of uh, religious overtones on here. One thing that um, that I was reading about online actually after I'd watched the film was uh, so when he finally leaves the island and he takes that boat, the boat is uh, numbered. The boat. Did you notice it? I don't know if you did. Yeah, one one thirty nine. 139 um yeah. so you, so you click on google and you look at it it's it's psalm 139 yeah uh and you know we're not big uh i'm not a big bible person i'm not a big uh yeah. religious person but uh, i was looking up at like psalm 139 um it's all about you know you know where i sit and when i rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar yeah if i go up to the heavens you are there and so on and so forth it's it is very much um, <laughs> leading you back to that thought of Christoph as God, and of course Christoph, Christ. Yeah, you know the, the connotations are obvious. Small diversion, actually, um, but this, as I was looking it up, this put me in in mind of something that you used to do, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but you used to keep a Bible in your room, and uh, as we've stated, you're not not a great man of of religion, <laughs> but you did it. So that every time something from the Bible was referenced in a TV show, that you could look it up and know what they were talking about. Do you remember that? <laughs> you did it for... I don't. I don't remember doing it for TV, but I seem to remember I had a small Bible in my room. Yes. But I think I think we were watching a lot of Millennium at the time, and I think they did a lot of chapter and verse quoting. Um, and I think you were just looking. That that's what you told me. You were just looking it up. That's that's my memory of it anyway. Um, but yeah, so the. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, it, it all comes back to this idea of, you know, Christoph is God, Christoph is omnipresent, you know, and again, as far as Truman is concerned, he might as well be God. Like, he sees all, he knows all, there's nothing that happens in Truman's life that he's not intimately aware of, um, and to the point where he has even created things, you know, he creates a storm, uh, you know, to try and mm-hmm. test him. Uh, you know, but you know, even in his earlier life, he puts obstacles in his way to try and mm. stop him from leaving. 
Um, but, you know, he creates lifelong fears. He creates lifelong fear of water. He creates lifelong fear of dogs and and, and all sorts um, just to, to, you know, in reality, just to keep him where he needs to be. Um, but, you know, the effect is, yeah, he is, he is his god um, uh, for all intents and purposes, um, uh, which, which makes Kristoff quite a fascinating character. Did you read uh, also that... Um, Ed Harris and Jim Carrey never actually met on set. Well, of course, they were never actually shared a moment on screen together. They were on two completely different sets. But what I was going to say to you, Chris, is how much did you love Ed Harris's Kangol hat? <laughs> it's very Samuel Jackson. It's very 1990s. It's very 1990s. It's, but it's perfect for the role. It paints him as that slightly douchey, very pretentious... You know, that, that again, ties into what we're talking about. He himself has a messiah complex. Um... And unlike a lot of people who are in his position, probably has quite an inflated view of his own abilities and, and you know, the importance of what he does. Um, and like I say, you know, when you take a when you take a step back and look at it through the lens of sanity, it's like, this is just a fucking reality TV show. It's just a show. <laughs> How can you be doing this to somebody just for the sake of mm. cheap entertainment? But obviously he doesn't see it that way. Um but yes, I did love, I did love his little hat, um, and I'm very, I'm very glad. You know, again, I think uh, it takes a lot of things to happen together for a film, for a film to come together. And you know, the reason, the reason I think this one works is is every little thing. You know, I love the soundtrack, I love the writing, I love the direction, I love the actors that they used, and and the way they sort of come together. Um, and I believe Ed Harris was a last minute addition because it was going to be Dennis Hopper and Hopper like quit out on the film after a few days and so Ed Harris had to come in at the last minute and again I don't think I could take Christoph half as seriously if it was played by Dennis Hopper probably wouldn't have been as good it probably wouldn't be as good but just before we move on one of the things I wanted to say Chris so did you notice actually it, it was never verbally said in the film but uh, because I was watching it on on Amazon Prime and I had the subtitles on the two executives who uh, talked to Christoph from the second half of the film onwards. Yeah. Um, one of them is called Moses, and the other really? one is yeah, and the other one is called Roman, and uh. it's, it just it just adds on layers of of the whole kind of Christo Christian dynamic uh goes going on here. It's it's very interesting. It's just a nice interesting point. It's it's a bit of fun actually, especially naming characters, but not actually naming them in the film. Um, and a lot of the other characters are actually named after Hollywood stars. So we got Marlon, we got Marilyn. Um, who else we got? Uh, Meryl. Truman's second name Burbank is where the the thing is filmed. It's filmed in Burbank, California. He is um, True Man Burbank, California. True Man. <laughs> They actually called him John Everyman. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one one last little note, and then I think we can we can move on because we've been delightfully in agreement here, which is good. Uh, because I was worried, we, well, I wasn't worried we were going to have an argument, but I was stealing myself for a uh, for for a, a slightly uh, a slightly more contentious podcast. <laughs> um, so good. Uh, I just want to say I really like it when they're doing the. The, the 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 call in show with uh Harry Shearer. Right. Um and it's it's just like 
We have a call from The Hague. Nope. Okay, they've hung up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Hague, the home of the war crimes. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. that hangs up. And yeah, you know, it, he's he's kind of a criminal, so it kind of makes sense. Uh, so yeah, so very, very glad that you've uh, enjoyed it uh, as, as much, if not more, um, this time around. And uh, I think... I think we are both in agreement that it had quite a uh, quite a significant amount of prescience given the time it was made. Um, and I certainly think if anyone listening now um, has never watched it, I think definitely, uh, definitely still very relevant. And I think probably more relevant today than it was when it was made, if a little less mind blowing. So, Chris, one of the things we didn't talk about actually was the quality of the uh-huh. acting uh and one of the things was you know how good jim carrey was so remember again back in 1998 this was a man who was gurning up for the camera he was mugging away in liar liar dumb and dumber batman forever <laughs> obviously all those Ace ventura films yeah you can see and he gives a really he was just a sort of catchphrase he... spouting uh maniac absolutely and he was terrific in this film he was uh really centered and at that end when he he bumps into the wall with Kristoff he um and and the storm is coming down and he's almost killed you know it's genuinely moving i've watched this film almost as many times as i've seen mamma mia and it's <laughs> it is, it gets me every time it, it it really does you know i'm i become very emotionally invested in the character of truman and are you as emotionally invested in in Mamma Mia? And if so, should we tell everybody that? Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 all about Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> it's his story, but uh, no, I I there's there's different reasons I've seen Mamma Mia a million times, but I watched it so many times, and it's because he is he's a very compelling character, and and Jim Carrey is very watchable. He's very easy to connect with, and you know, I just I I commend the director on being able to just get that much out of him you know and at times they let him off the leash you know he does his fun little bits with his the soap bar you know spiking the lens doing the whole trumania bit um and you know being you know just a little bit jim carrey um but you know for the rest of the time he's just acting like a normal human being and it makes him very relatable (laughs) We should also give special mention to Laura Linney's performance in this film, who has a very difficult position where she's basically prostituting herself out to uh, Truman. Uh, and it, it certainly earlier in the film is going to be giving him a baby. And she does a terrific job, and she is also hilarious um, when she's doing the Mokoko advert, where in the middle of an absolute domestic, still has the wherewithal to grab hot cocoa. Yes from behind her, point it to the right camera and <laughs> rhyme off <laughs> rhyme off the advertising slang. And she's fantastic. And actually you can spend a whole bunch of time just talking about her role in the film. Yeah. And how um, morally oh, morally bankrupt that her role has to be. That she's this actress who's given up her life to to marry this man she doesn't love, she doesn't even like and certainly at the start of this film, is willing to have a baby for. She's willing to have a live, on-screen conception and birth of the next chapter of The Truman Show. It's a very dark theme, but presented in a very light way. 
And I gotta say, I I normally don't get on that well with Laura Linney. Um, I haven't seen her in too many things, but I I I often come away finding her a bit like grating and unrelatable. Um, and obviously this character is kind of unrelatable anyway, but in this in this instance that's the point. <laughs> um, but she yeah she crushes it for me. She she's hilarious. You know, obviously she plays the fear of kind of like, all right, I'm done playing. Someone get me out of here. What's going on? Um, and, and you know, finally breaks character for a moment. And, uh, you know, she's, yeah, she's she's phenomenal. Um, everybody, uh, yeah, everybody does a great job uh, in the film. You know, obviously I've already spoken about Ed Harris and uh, I liked what he did. Um, the inimitable Paul Giamatti, we haven't discussed uh, his bit part. I bumped into Paul Giamatti outside Reading Wagamamas once. That is my claim to fame. Could uh, could you treat me to like a Paul Giamatti impersonation? Could you sort of no, tell me what he said? Absolutely to you? not. You should know by now, Chris, that I can't do voices or impersonations well at all, and I'm certainly but not going to Everybody's got Paul a Giamatti. Giamatti. <laughs> Just Paul Paul Giamatti. That was pretty bad. I don't. I think mine would be. I think. Well, let's mine have it then. Let's worse. hear it. <laughs> No, not gonna happen. Ah, you're not fun. Uh, but yeah, he was. Uh, he was pretty good actually. He he didn't have much to do, but he did a lot with it. I felt. Yeah, that's before he became. Uh, that's before he became really big. I think uh, this role. So again, 1998, almost 20 years ago. Yeah, he was before he was a a major star in his own right. He still had a lot of hair up there for one thing. You know, he he goes for the feels right at the end as well. He gets quite sad and it's like. You know, refusing to refusing to comply with Kristoff's order to sort of raise up the winds and capsize Truman's boat and drown him. Um, yeah, it's it's all he he sort of plays into the plays into that quite well at the end. So I think, yeah, I think I think we can put a we can put a bow on this. Um, and uh, we you know we've both said some both said some wonderful things about this wonderful movie. And uh, before we get on to plugs, etc., I think we better talk about what we're going to be doing next week. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to intro that, Steve? In two weeks' time, Chris, we're going to be taking on. Well, we've done a few films now, back and forth, and thought it'd be a good time to kind of change it up and go back to television. And one of the things I want to do is uh, go to another pilot and finale, start and end examination, and this time to do a sitcom. Uh, one of the sitcoms that we grew up with that maybe it wasn't as popular for all our listeners, but it'd be maybe great for them to listen to us talking about it and why they should maybe get into it is Seinfeld. So Seinfeld was the biggest sitcom, certainly in America, when we were growing up. And we both bonded over it and loved it growing up, but uh, not many of our friends did. So it'd be good to re-examine it's, it. it. It is fascinating because, I mean, I th- if I'm not very much mistaken, like friends kind of came into the world riding on Seinfeld's coattails like I think they were on before or after Seinfeld and that was one of the many reasons that Friends took off and and became the sort of the phenomenon it did um but yeah I mean Jerry Seinfeld was like the best paid actor of 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 all time for a while wasn't he yeah he was he was getting paid like a million dollars an episode and the other guys were getting paid maybe three quarters of a million dollars an episode and yeah, it was huge. And you're right, Friends premiered 
there used to be a big block of shows over in America and Friends was on after Seinfeld. And over here, Friends was a mega show from like day one on Channel 4. And Seinfeld was relegated to like Late 11 night. o'clock yeah. on Tuesday <laughs> on BBC Two uh, before Larry Sanders. And I would watch them in a block back to back. Yeah. Um, but okay, well, we won't talk about that too much now, obviously, because uh, we'll save that for, for uh, a fortnight. So, Steve, good news. Wow, <laughs> tell are... me. Tell me. What's the news, Chris? We are out there. We are out there now. So we're not just available on iTunes. Um if you if you live uh if you live an alternative kind of lifestyle, uh we are now also available on stitcher.com and tunein.com. Um but still if you are listening to us on iTunes, please give us a rating of five stars and a, a little review. Um and boost our popularity even We've more. got some nice reviews on iTunes already, so thank you to everybody who's already done that. Keep them coming, keep them coming. Uh, so, a quick look at our social media. Where can you find us? Well, you can follow us on Twitter, at ohbrotherpods. Um, you can like us at Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com slash ohbrotherpodcast. And, uh, yeah, as I say, like, uh, yeah, subscribe and review on whichever medium you prefer. We're out there. We are omnipresent, like Christoph. Fantastic. Okay then, Steve. Well, let's <laughs> let's uh, say goodbye, and we'll see you all next time. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye.